When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Match of My Career podcast. My name is Todd Schooler, and on this podcast, I'll be interviewing ex-tennis players on one of the most memorable matches of their career. In this episode, I'm speaking with Australian tennis player Nathan Healy. Nathan turned pro in 1998. He reached a career high of 159 in singles and 58 in the world in doubles. He won three doubles titles on tour, Sopot in Poland, Sydney and Beijing. But today we're discussing his 2006 Australian Open third round singles matchup against Nikolai Davidenko. At the time, Davidenko was a top 10 player, while Nathan had received a wildcard into the tournament. It was a wild old match at Melbourne Park. Have a listen to how Nathan recalls it. Here's my chat with Nathan Healy. Um, Nathan, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate your time today. No worries, Todd. Great to be here. So we're going to go back to the Australian Open 2006. We're discussing, we're going to go a bit deeper into, I guess, the match of your career or one of the most memorable matches of your career, your third round match against Nikolai Davidenko. So you started that tournament ranked about 240. So you reached a career high 159 in in your career, um, but started that tournament about 240. How was your form going into that tournament? Did you have many expectations? No, not really. I, I can't I can't remember the build up of the, the tournaments leading in, but I knew that I was in great shape. Uh, I'd worked extremely hard physically in the off season. And uh, yeah, I was yeah, I, I was feeling incredible going into that tournament. So it uh, And you got a wild card, didn't you? Was it discretionary or did you go through the playoff? No, it was discretionary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, what's your thoughts on wild cards in general at the moment? There's been a bit of a talk about whether tournaments should have so many, I guess. Oh, it's always tricky. I guess, you know, as the saying goes, no one deserves a wild card. It's 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 a you know, it's a blessing if you get one. Uh I guess for up and coming junior players, it's a it is uh an opportunity to leapfrog some of the uh you know the, the future and challenger tour um but it is a contentious issue for it sure is. yeah, well, yeah. We, we could talk a long time about that but we won't so uh round one well this is, let's go back one year previously this was your second year playing at the australian open main draw wasn't it yeah played many years before in qualifying but yeah first year in main draw yes yes was that was that previous year and yeah. uh yeah yeah, had a win in the first round against a Brazilian player, yep. uh, Flavio Serreta, uh, and then played a, played a solid match against uh, Jürgen Meltzer, That's uh, right. who was a seeded player in the second round. Um, yeah, show court three, I remember that. So you'd had a taste of the atmosphere, and you've come into 2006 feeling good, like you say, and you get through the first round, you beat Valandri, who was fairly high ranked. He probably was seeded too, was he? Um, he was seeded. He was 26 in yep. the world at the time. Yep. Yep. So that, that's, a, that's a good win. And then round two, you play a qualifier, Amir Delic, knock over him in four sets. All of a sudden, you're into the third round. How are the emotions there? Felt incredible. I mean, it was, it was I, 
I mean, if yeah, leading into that match, it was one of the hottest days on record. There were no matches played that day until the evening. So, uh, yeah, it was just that you could feel the anticipation in the mm. air, not just for me, but the crowd. Yep. And I was the last Australian standing. So it was, uh, you know, there was this party atmosphere that was ready to pop. Yeah, and that's that's what I was going to mention because it was a Saturday night. You were on Margaret Court and that, that would have been before all the renovations on Margaret Court. So it was a real party court then, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, it was ro- it was rocking. Yeah, the match was pushed back a little later due to that heat. And, yeah, uh, yeah everyone, had, I think, was sinking a few beers. And uh, we're in fine form. And, uh, yeah, it was it was wild. As you say, you were the last Australian male standing. I think Peter Luchak might have been in the third round too, but he might have lost before you played. That's right. He played indoors, the, like, during the day. So. Okay. Yeah. He closed the roof for his match. So, so yeah. were you on uh, were you on Media Street a little bit for a few days there? Yeah, yeah. I took a took a trip down to St Kilda, and uh, I remember being there with my then girlfriend, now wife. Yeah, uh, yeah, with the Aussie flag, and uh, yeah, it was kind of surreal. How, how was the publicity? So, did you did you lap it up? Were you uncomfortable with it, or you? you no, you I'm, right com- I'm comfortable. I yeah. you know I enjoyed it at, at the time and. I think the ego did it as well, and, and uh, why, why wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a joy to be uh, in the third round. Were your family and friends there? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I had a lot of support. Yeah, I had it. Yeah, had my team there, and uh, yeah, everyone played a role in uh, you know helping me prepare properly and have a have a game plan. But uh, you know, once we get into the details of the match, which yeah, I guess maybe your next question. Yeah, no, we're coming up to that. So you're playing Delich in the second round. Do you look ahead? So do you know if you beat him, you're going to play a top five player or you try not to worry about that? No, no. At that time I was I was pretty locked in. I was uh yeah, in a in a pretty clear place mentally yeah. and emotionally. I still, I look back at my entire career and still saw that I was a baby in that department, mm-hmm. but it was it was definitely the most stable that I'd been. And, uh, yeah, definitely not looking ahead, just, yeah, one, well, as they say, one point at a time. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it, it worked out well, taking down Amir in the, in the second round. So to the match itself, did you seek advice on... You know, tactics to play against Davidenko, like from Leighton Hewitt, or because I think Hewitt might have beaten him a few months previously and had probably played him a few times. So, did you seek out other Aussies? No, and that's as I reflect on my career, I didn't ask enough questions. Right. I did have a team, I did have support. My dad coaching me, mm. as well as there was a, another coach that was in my corner that I'd been working on and off with. Uh, so there was a vague game plan, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't as clear as I would have. Yep. liked and what I, if i was to do it again yep. that's something that i would definitely seek is is good mentors and and uh, reach out to people that have been there before so what what was the game plan or what were the tactics that you remember you probably don't remember everything obviously <laughs> don't, but well yeah well I, I all i know is that the first set davidenko is the best baseliner i'd ever played yes. and i ran my Awesome. Yeah. Uh, First said he got you six two and obviously controlled the match pretty well, obviously. Yeah, he just ran me from corner to corner. Yeah. And you know, what I thought was a deep ball that I, I felt like I'd hit a quality shot, he would take on the rise and redirect it yeah. and just be so aggressive from the baseline. 
Um, yeah, and obviously, as we know, but Davidenko likes to play up on the baseline yeah, and inside, and he takes your time away, and he was just pumping the corners. So, as I said, I was fit, but, uh, you know, I could only take so much of that. I was, it was, you know, it was hot and, uh, you know, I was dripping after the first set. So it was a, a no brainer that I had to get to the net yes. and bring him forward. Yeah. Uh, so that they're two of the tactics that going into the second set, that's what I brought. Sitting down at the end of the first set in your head, were you just like, so this is a top five player. This, this is the level I got to reach. Were you thinking along those lines? Like, did you just notice such a difference between a top five, top 10 player compared to some of the other players that you may have played against? Yeah. So, I mean, at the time it was just like, wow, I, I can't play like this. It was yeah. just, you know, there was no gray, you know, oh, I want, if I keep doing the same thing, maybe it'll work. It was just like, there's no chance I can play this guy from the back of the court. Yeah. And sometimes that's He's, easier, isn't it? To just get wiped off the court like that because you, you're forced to change something. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was like, then the tactics that I had worked on throughout a lot of my career was, was mm. coming forward, serving volleying, Short slice, one of my favorite plays, one of the most underutilized plays, I think, in the game. Um, you know, just dragging him off the baseline and straight away, you know, and just not giving him time to settle into a rally at all. Mm. And uh, yeah, then the crowd got into it and it was, uh, it was, uh, the party was on. <laughs> yeah. So first set, six, two down. Second set, you take that seven, five in a tight one. And yeah, I can imagine Margaret Court would have just been going berserk. Everyone. The mind on the side. Ah, oh, yeah, side. That, that's what it used to be like there. For those who, I guess, have only ever known Margaret Court as that indoor boutique stadium, it was totally different back then. It was like Court Three now, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good comparison. Yeah. So you're sitting down at the change events after set two. New tactics, new result. Is then it just a case of okay, keep doing what you're doing, or do you have to mix something up again? How does that work? I just keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but but what happened was because I created some doubt and and put him in an uncomfortable position, like coming forward. Probably wanted to change his tactics then, didn't he? He did, but it, it also allowed me to play a bit more from the baseline. Yep. Um, so what I noticed, and you know, reflecting on after for sure, is that he'd thrown the kitchen sink at me early, mm. and I think that's scare tactics. Like he, there was a decision to take the ball on the rise and you know so his game plan was clear from the outset to intimidate you straight away and then the second set yeah i changed it up so then he you know then i you know his ground strokes got a little bit shorter and i was actually able to play a little from the back of the court um which may not have helped in the end (laughs) you know but i think ultimately i didn't have the belief you know I i really didn't think i could beat a top four player funnily enough that was actually going to be one of my next questions because set three and four were Pretty tight still. It was six four seven five, I think it was. Oh, six four seven five. Yeah. yeah. So I was yeah. gonna ask you, was there any stage you kind of let yourself believe, but you've answered that and obviously there wasn't. I mean, I was comfortable holding serve, you know, and then but when it got to the business end of each of those those yeah. last two sets, I think there wasn't the clarity and the belief and the yeah. emotional stability. Does that just come I, with experience? Yes. And I also think it's taught and practiced. And that's yeah. so that's my passion now is to teach that. Yeah is work with players on their emotional stability and uh, and the whole mental approach. Yeah. And where I was, um, yeah, I feel like they're the keys that un- can unlock your best tennis. Mm. So you almost feel like if you had someone like yourself now in your corner back then, you may have snuck over the line. 
I'd hate to say I like I mean of course hindsight and yeah, and everyone says it but I my athletic ability and the tools that I had in my toolkit yeah. if the mental pieces were there I'm thinking top 50 with But I remember back then all the talk was how fit you were like you were one of the fittest on tour and uh, I guess those conditions suited you down to a T so you were able to really stretch him and I don't think from memory he'd been very deep into the Australian Open before so he probably had some doubts too so you might have got him at a good time maybe I didn't I didn't even uh yeah I didn't even consider that yeah I was um you know but all I I do know yes I was fit but I burned a lot of energy that's that emotional approach and nervous energy and just on court yeah just uh yeah like between points there was no there was no settling Okay, and and again, that's where I that's where I teach tennis as a meditation. Now, you know, I just wasn't in a meditative place. I was yep. I was so focused on the result, so focused on the fans. Are they having fun? Yeah, so putting on a show. Like I was really focused on putting on a show and making sure that they got their yeah. money's worth. That's know? an in- interesting point because I can see how easy it would be to get caught up in all that. Uh, Davidenko actually said after the match, I was reading an article about it that he was quite disappointed with the fans' behaviour towards him i don't know if you remember that whether you they were disrespectful towards him or not but i imagine like we said it was saturday night it was 40 degrees during the day they were probably well lubricated so uh, do you remember it being disrespectful towards him there were moments there were yeah. there were definitely some comments made that were yeah, okay <laughs> yeah there were weren't yeah weren't appropriate that's for sure but yeah as you said no excuses though it's uh yeah it was, there was some disrespectful stuff yeah but. okay so after the match was it tight loss was it one of disappointment an opportunity lost or kind of one of pride that you reach a third round you push the top five player which kind of way did it lean for you it was pride it was yeah. like okay i put on a show i was happy with that in that moment yeah i can see that i really just i was out there just to do that I yeah. wasn't out there to win the match. And I, as I say, I wasn't a student of the game until I coached, until yes. I was coaching Leighton. And I really put on a hat that was like, okay, now how, like, how does, how does this game work? What are the strengths and weaknesses of, of these opponents? How do we find a way to, to break that down? Uh, I just didn't think like that. There'd be plenty of players who don't think like that until late in their career, as you say, once they get into coaching. It's a totally different yeah. way of looking at tennis. And that's why I get, you know, my the 16-year-olds or even younger, I get those kids to coach. Mm. And and then that builds their confidence, but they also become a student of the game. And Good it's idea. super powerful for them to do that. Yeah. It kind of softens the ego a little bit, you yeah. know, if you've done some coaching. Yeah. I think it's just good to round round you as a person yeah. and Agreed. help you evolve as a person. So in the aftermath of that match, did, did you gain a lot of confidence or you know, what did you learn from playing a top five player? Was it about mental strength? It's funny. I feel like I just did the same thing i I know i went after bernie and i won the challenger yeah afterwards i actually changed rackets after after the australian open i switched from babalat to yonex yeah you won quite a few matches in a couple of weeks after that one bernie and uh, i won bernie and then i took off and i went to the states and i and i think coming out of the australian atmosphere was uh challenging for me yeah and so it was i i didn't do as well up until the French Open when I won the wildcard playoff and beat Luchak and and uh, Wayne Arthurs and then had a tight match at the French Open with uh, Mario Anchik. But same thing, you know, Mario Anchik at the time I think was about 12 in the world. Yeah. 
same thing a lot of anxiety a lot of uh you know that emotional roller coaster and yeah cramping in the fourth set one one question that i always have especially for aussies at the aussie open is is it really hard as a player to come off a high like that where you've had a massive deep run and then to go back to challenges and itfs you know halfway around the world is it really hard to stay motivated almost until that next grand slam or until that next australian summer it Mm. is it's it's such you even when you're aware that it's going to happen the the change in environment is tough and you know i just went through it again with max purcell final of the aussie open and then we're in india for a few weeks and the same happened when he made the final with luke seville in 2019 we went down to launceston and as much as we prepared exactly the same and, and properly, it was, yeah, there was definitely a difference in how, how he showed up and it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. Finally, you didn't play main draw singles again at the Australian Open. That, am I correct in saying that? The year after I was in qualifying. Why wouldn't you have got a discretionary wildcard again? Because obviously you were, you were the big thing for a week in January in 2006. It's political. Yeah, uh, this no. is where we get into the political spaces. And yeah, I won't name names, but no, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it just didn't didn't go to yeah yeah didn't go to plan. I lost last round qualifying seven five in the third or six four in the third. Yeah, that that was a tough pill to swallow the year after. No regrets though. It was a you know it was a beautiful awesome journey. Yeah, and you know there's a few things I'd do differently for any you know younger players out there. I say. You know, build your team, find, really seek uh, good people, find good mentors and ask questions. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I really encourage players players to do that because that's one thing that I feel like I didn't do. Invest in in yourself by asking questions. And where can people get hold of you if they're interested in learning more about the, you know, the mental side of the game and the the mentoring that you do? Playawake.com.au. Yeah, I'll take you through the processes that helped me settle as a person after coming off tour with all the highs and lows. It's mm. not easy to settle into a regular life. So I did a lot of inner work and uh, I love passing on on these gifts to, to players or anyone really. Excellent. Um, you know, they, so I have a counselling certificate and I really enjoy the mental processes that can unlock the tools, unlock everyone's potential. Reach out. Thank you, Nathan, for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, good to have a chat about you know, yesteryear and one of your best matches of your career or most memorable, definitely. Thanks for inviting me on uh, on no your podcast, Todd, and, and great to chat, and maybe we do it again sometime. That would be good. Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate it. Okay. Cheers, mate. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.